0: Welcome to How My Country Works, with your host, Stephen O'Shea, the podcast that rummages around the hoarder's basement of the global political system and pulls out the insightful gems hidden way at the back. Each episode, we'll be working alphabetically through different countries' politics, so you can show off to your friends and maybe gain a slightly better understanding of just how those countries work. Next up, in the heart of Europe, with a population of 8.8 million and functioning as a parliamentary democracy, is Austria. On the 18th of May 2019, the Austrian government was brought down by an exotic scandal now known as Ibiza Gate. During a boozy evening at a rented villa on the Spanish island in July 2017, Heinz Christian Strache, leader of the FPO party in Austria and vice chancellor, met Aliona Makarova, a young woman who claimed to be the niece of a Russian oligarch. Over champagne and sushi, Mr. Strache appeared to offer to help the woman gain access to juicy state highway contracts. In exchange, Ms. Makarova would take a 50% stake in the Kronen Zeitung, a popular Austrian tabloid, and help reinvent it as an FPO propaganda paper. In fact, the whole operation was an elaborate sting organized by a newspaper across the border in Germany, Der Spiegel. The crisis forced Mr. Stracker to resign, and without his party's support propping up the coalition, the government of one of the youngest leaders in the world, Sebastian Kurtz, collapsed. Whilst Mr. Kurtz now has a new coalition party in the Greens, the FPO remains a powerful force in Austrian politics. But how did we get to this situation? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the current political climate in Austria, I'll be speaking to the political lecturer Silvia Kritzinger at the University of Vienna. But in order to get a better understanding of Austria first, I'm joined on the show by Peter Becker, Professor of Austrian History, also at Vienna University. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Great, thank you.
0: Well, I feel like a good place to start might be the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which dominated much of Central and Eastern Europe in the late 1800s. Can you tell me how it started?
1: You know, Austria and Hungary, they came together with a marriage union in the 16th century, which then brought Hungary, but also Bohemia, under the reign of the Habsburgs.
0: Of course, the Habsburgs being the royal family of this empire. How were the different jurisdictions of the empire managed? Hungary
1: kept their own institutions, kept their own laws, uh, kept their own economic organization, but were united under um, a common king.
0: So they were fairly autonomous then, with a lot of their own internal legislation, police, economy, etc. But how does this kind of develop?
1: The Habsburg monarchy was under very strong um, pressure because they were close to bankruptcy and so they had a very weak position to, in a sense, uh, oppose um, the demands of the Hungarians to in, enlarge their autonomy.
0: Right. So in the build-up to the First World War, the empire is already kind of beginning to split at the seams. And then obviously they're on the losing side with the Germans, and this kind of finishes off that empire, right?
1: The war didn't go this uh, well. The civilian population very early on started to experience significant shortages of fuel, of uh, food. At the end, there was this massive repression against parts of their own population. Everybody was starving. And so in that sense, this was a very discredited monarchy. So the combination of these forces uh, were obviously strongly resulted in the breakup of the monarchy.
0: Right. So as the empire breaks up, lots of different ethnic groups also split off, and the country is left far more Germanic which eventually leads to the unification with Germany right before the Second World War.
1: The idea of, in a sense, joining or kind of accession or union with Germany has many, in a sense, is a a multi-layered phenomenon. One layer is this kind of, um, this common experience of fighting together the enemies. And so this allegiance to Germany was this kind of bond
0: But what were they hoping to get out of joining with Germany?
1: The hope was by a union with Germany would provide them with a much better position in political terms. And everybody shared this very strong belief that Austria would not be able to survive economically.
0: Of course. There's a huge amount of economic devastation in Europe at this time.
1: And There was a massive uh, economic problem Uh, immediately after the war. There was uh, hyperinflation, which could only be stopped with uh, an international intervention.
0: Right. But then Austria and Germany obviously lose the Second World War as well. How does the country emerge from that devastating conflict?
1: In the 10 years after the war between 1945 and 1955, you know, Austria was uh, divided in different occupation sectors uh, with the Russian army in the east and um, the British in the south, uh, Americans uh, in the west and the French in the southwest.
0: Wow, so it's divided up kind of like Germany, but it isn't split up in full like how we had east and west Germany. Why is that?
1: One of the key solutions to this uh, problem was the neutrality of Austria, built on the uh, on the example of Swiss neutrality, which then later became a kind of a stumbling block for um, the accession into um, economic unions. But uh, this was obviously overcome.
0: Okay, so it was kind of designated as a neutral country. But then how did it recover relatively quickly and emerge as such a wealthy nation?
1: Austria became part of the European recovery program, also more colloquially called the Marshall Plan. And this plan poured significant amounts of money into the Austrian economy. I think it's 1.5 billion.
0: Wow, 1.5 billion. And that's at that time as well. That's humongous. How do they use that to drive growth?
1: nationalization. Until the 1980s, a very strong and very dominant industrial complex, which was owned by the state, but in a sense run as a kind of, um, I think you say chartered company, Um, but you still had a very strong influence of state.
0: Right. So they focus industry in key sectors, which drives notable growth. That's interesting, given that their economy is driven so much more by services like finance and tourism now. And this is all done under what's known as the Second Republic. But what defines this period and Austrian politics to this day seems to be compromise. Is that right?
1: The Second Republic was built from the very beginning on a very close collaboration of um, the conservatives and the social democrats. In the Second Republic... um, there was institutionalized the uh, collaboration between this the center-left and the center-right through so the so-called social partnership. All legislation which would affect situation in in Austria would have been pre-negotiated by kind of a panel of um, of members of the different chambers of commerce. Or the chambers of commerce, the chambers of labor, the trade unions, and the... Um, representatives of agriculture.
0: Interesting. And it's this collaboration and compromise that leads to a notable stability and positive economic growth. But as it slows in the 1990s, there's a bit more fracturing in Austrian politics. Why do people turn to the far right and the FPO that we were talking about earlier?
1: Because they were suffering from, uh, you know, like unemployment. Many people who have lost a job would not regain a job because the new jobs are different jobs.
0: Of course. Thanks so much, Peter. Well, given that kind of takes us up to modern day Austria and what we were talking about earlier, we're just going to turn to Sylvia Kritzinger to discuss more on the current climate and how the system functions. So Sylvia, we've just been hearing about the collaborative nature within Austrian politics. Could you tell us a little bit more about how this came about and how it kind of manifests itself? So
2: one of the characteristics uh, of the Second Republic after 45 was really that political actors tried to somehow find a consensus to work together and not resulting into this extremism any longer as they used to do in uh, the 1920s and 1930s.
0: Right. And does the electoral system have much to do with this as well?
2: We have a proportional electoral system, so not a first-past-the-post system or an alternative voting system as in Australia. There will not be a party that wins the majority of votes and seats. So each party that is going to form a government needs to find a coalition partner.
0: So you have to have cooperation because you need coalition partners. You can't really go around totally bad-mouthing people and then hope they'll jump into government with you when the election's over. But the system is also less fragmented in some ways, right?
2: Party system is not as fragmented. So if a party does only get 0.2% of the votes, the party will not get into uh, the, the the parliament, will not get a seat.
0: Right, because parties have to achieve a certain level of the vote, 4% in this case, to get into parliament in the first place. But this leaves the number of parties in parliament pretty small, right?
2: The amount of parties represented in the um, Austrian national parliament is rather limited. At the moment, we have five parties there. It's rather easy then to pick Two parties and form a coalition. Well, the, of course, the coalition has to have over 40, uh, over 50 percent of the, the votes and the seats in the parliament in order to be able to form a majority uh, government. The disadvantages, of course, is that certain preferences might not be represented to the extent that one might want to be represented.
0: Of course, because if you vote for a party that doesn't get into parliament, it is kind of like a wasted vote. But it's still pretty representative, right? Because you vote for a party and the number of votes they get really corresponds closely to the number of seats they get, which can be quite different from systems like the British or the American. So it's at least very democratic in that sense. What kind of government has this produced most recently then?
2: Actually, a very interesting uh, constellation of a coalition where there is a conservative party, so a right party forming a coalition with a green party, a party on the left,
0: Wow, a centre-right party with the Greens? That's pretty novel. How is the power-sharing divided?
2: The Conservative Party is the senior partner in the sense that they have much more votes than the junior partner on the left, the Greens. So to a certain extent, this is now, even though ideologically still rather different, more a typical coalition government because you have a senior partner with a lot of votes and a lot of seats, and the junior partner with fewer votes and, of course, also fewer seats. But they go together because one of those uh, issues that they would like to tackle together is the environmental issue, the climate change issue, and therefore the Conservative and the Green Party went together.
0: And this is led by the young leader, Sebastian right? who's only 34, and he's the chancellor, not the president, who in Austria is fairly ceremonial, right? Could you just tell me a little bit more about Sebastian Kurz?
2: I think Sebastian Kurz is the youngest, or when he came into power, he was the youngest chancellor leader in Europe ever. I think he was 28, uh, turning 29 a couple of months later. He was already in politics uh, way before, because uh, he was first junior minister for integration, and then he became uh, the foreign minister in the next government. And He became the leader of the Christian Democratic Party called the ÖVP, which probably has now moved more into a conservative party, a less uh, Christian Democratic uh, Party. And after he became the leader of the party and the polls showed that uh, he's really liked amongst the voters, also amongst voters that normally would never vote for that party, the coalition with the then Social uh, Democratic Party, was broken and new, election, new elections, snap elections were called. And these elections he won. And uh, so he decided to um, make a coalition with the extreme right Freedom Party. This was uh, then um, a complete new government constellation that, of course, provoked some rise. Eyebrows because having the extreme rights in the government is not something that one would expect um, in a democracy like uh, Austria.
0: Yeah, I bet. But then, as we discussed at the beginning, this government was brought down by a huge scandal that kind of really takes us full circle to where we started. Thanks so much, Sylvia. It's been great having you on. Just to finish off the show, I'm just going to go back to Peter to chat us through what a unique holiday or festival or event is from Austria. Peter?
1: I would think that the Salzburg Festival is probably quite a good example for a kind of a unique event. First of all, it is in a sense unique because it happens in Salzburg and Salzburg is just in Austria. So it's also unique because it's building on this high-class artistic musical Tradition performance that I think uh, Austria is uh, proud of and is an important part of its um, tourism industry. Salzburg Festival was created consciously as an instrument of reconciliation after the First World War, kind of re- bringing together you know, kind of wealthy and affluent uh, tourists, but Bringing together people from different national backgrounds, also the former enemies, um, and um, in their shared, I'll say, in their shared exposure to art or in their shared participation in art, they would kind of this would, was considered to be kind of an instrument of reconciliation.
0: Wow, I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. Thanks so much, Peter. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guests Sylvia Kretzinger and Peter Becker. Join us next time where we'll be exploring the final country beginning with the letter A, Azerbaijan. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts, and there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Austria or any other country. See you next time, and remember to keep asking how my country works.